Programming robotic software has traditionally been a specialized field. The software industry has seen rapid progress. The operating system and the tooling that provides the foundation for our software applications is taken care of by companies like Google, Microsoft, and other numerous players like Canonical, Amazon, etc. The robotics industry still needs that OS layer that handles the complexities so that engineers can build robots that serve their business needs. Viam aspires to be the operating system for robotics that makes it easy to turn great ideas into production robots. Elliot Horowitz is the founder and CEO of Viam, and he joins us today. Elliot was previously the CTO at MongoDB, a database company. We discuss with him the different challenges one faces when trying to build a robot and how Viam is trying to solve that. Hi, Elliot. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi. Uh, thanks, Pavel. Great to be here. Great to have you here. Uh, so let's begin with the first question. Uh, what is VM and what do you guys do? VM is a robotic software platform. So we make it much easier to actually write software that interacts with hardware, uh, you know, build a real production ro uh, robot, then build a real business around that, scale, make, you know, add features, etc. Uh, we you know make any software engineer able to work with hardware, make it easier for hardware engineers to describe what they've built in software and in you know a simple UI rather than writing code, and have them build real products. Cool, awesome. And you, as Elliot, what were your first step that kind of led you on this path? So after I left uh, MongoDB in the database space, I was looking for interesting problems. Mm -hmm. I was looking for you know things that would actually matter, and a lot of the things I started looking at ended up being labor challenges. So think about climate change. You know some of the things you want to do in climate change: plant a lot of trees, clean the oceans, remove plastic from the ocean, maybe make a million kelp farms. I don't know. All of these things are labor challenges, right? It's hard to get people to do the work where they need to be done. How to do it cost effectively? How to just scale it at all? Other problems, you know, simple other problems like getting my kids to clean the dinner table. All these things are labor challenges. So then I started looking at robotics and robotics as a whole and started deciding that, hey, look, there are fundamental issues in robotics that are hard to solve and that um, let's go and make it easier, right? Let's go mm -hmm. make it easier for software people and hardware people to work together to uh, put robots into the world. Let's make it easier to make these things happen. Let's make it easier to build businesses around robotics and so that innovation happens and that things get better. So what are the, so me and my background is in software engineering. I have built one robot in the past, but that was during my university time. If I would want to get into robotics right now and use VM, what would be the hardest and the most time consuming bottlenecks that, of programming robots that, that VM would solve? So there's a lot of different things, you know, if you think about it and at different stages, you know, most software people I've met and, you know, this was me for my entire software career are intimidated by hardware. don't even know where to start. Mm. Right. I don't, I don't know if you've ever, ever, I don't know if you've ever done any hardware tinkering. Mm -mm. Right. I mean, but I'm sure there are things in the physical world, whether it's in your house or outside, that you'd be like, I wish I could solve that. Right, maybe it's watering your plants. Maybe it's playing with one of your pets. Who knows? All these things are practical to do with a with hardware, but like you don't know where to start. 
And part of the reason is there aren't standard APIs, or there aren't standard APIs for like, how do you turn a motor on? How do you talk to a camera? All these things are complicated. The languages don't make it easy. The tools don't make it easy. Debugging isn't easy. You know, what harder to use is sort of not obvious. So the first thing is just making it like easy for a software person to go and be like, oh, look, I can build a robot to water my plants. And it's not that hard. Because once you get the basics working and you have a you know normal software platform that uses modern languages and you can use all your modern tools and all your standard tools that you're used to, then you can go and do a lot of very cool things right after the fact. Right, when you have to spend a ton of work up front to even get the hardware working, and then you're left in a esoteric niche toolkit, you're kind of stuck. Like, uh, you know, not to um, talk negatively about things, but a little bit. If you look at Arduino, right, a lot of software people have played with an Arduino, and it's a very great platform. And you can do a bunch of cool stuff with it very easily, and connect hardware to an Arduino and update the code on the Arduino and, and make stuff happen. But now you're in this Arduino land. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to use a standard tool, maybe you want to use a cloud machine learning offering. Mm -hmm. It's very complicated to do that. Whereas if you can just use a normal computer, like a Raspberry Pi and a normal programming language that you're used to, with normal tools, then you can go and use all the other tools that you've been using for your entire career to go and make that hardware do more interesting things. Mm -hmm. And would, for example, from the point of view of the hardware itself and the different elements that can connect, for example, to the Raspberry Pi uh, part, would, for example, VM, how would the process of starting with VM look like? Would I just install VM on that Raspberry Pi and it would automatically recognize, for example, all of the hardware parts and kind of make them accessible? So you, so you install VM on the Raspberry Pi and then in our UI, you configure what hardware you have. Mm -hmm. But it's pretty straightforward because you know what, again, you know what hardware you, you have, you know if you've got a certain motor, you know. So you basically just go and configure the hardware. There's a lot of tutorials and you connect it. And there are tutorials to tell you like, hey, you want to build this, maybe go and buy this kind of a motor and connect it to the Raspberry Pi this way. And then here's how you configure it. And there's no code to write. Um, it's all very straightforward. You can do it in JSON or using our UI tools. And uh, you can get up, you know, get up and running very quickly. Mm. And I've also seen quite a couple of very interesting projects on your website that have been using VM for re real world and for solving the re real world uh, problems. And I was wondering which one of them is your favorite or the most interesting uh, that the, and that you would call, uh, what do they do? Uh, if, are you referring to the customers on our website? Mm -hmm. Sorry, I don't know which one's on our website. Not everything is public. Um, so, you know, one of the, um, one of the ones on our website is Dexi Robotics, and they make salads. And I am very interested in everything in that space because I think that more people should have access to higher quality food options mm -hmm. whenever they need. So think about salad making. Obviously, people can get salads. And if you go at lunchtime, you can get a salad. That's great. What if you're at an airport at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. and all of the restaurants are closed and you want something healthy to eat? Uh, as someone who's been in airports a lot late at night or early in the morning, you often are left with very few options. Same thing with hospitals, right? Mm -hmm. I have as someone who's been in the hospital and tried to eat something at three in the morning. You're left with candy bars from a vending machine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen that. Not exactly a, right, a great thing. So if you have a robotic solution for making fresh salads, then 24-7, I can go and get a salad. When you start extrapolating from there, 
it changes a lot of things, right? You can bring costs down. You can, you know, you know, bring access to higher quality food down. And, you know, food's sort of a pretty universal concept. And I would love for more people to have access to cheaper, higher quality food options. Mm. And um, the and the company that creates the salad making robots, what's their process? Because, for example, if you look from perspective of a software engineering project, imagine I'm building a new application that I'm going to deploy. I can use um, certain tools to create a CI CD pipeline to kind of have the entire process automated and to publish the app into the production. And I was wondering, from the point of view of robotics projects and how they use hardware, how do they tackle? from a point of view of kind of software engineering as well, but how do they tackle automated, uh, automated testing of those robots and kind of the entire process of getting the product from scratch into the, into the hands of the customers? Yep. So one of the core principles of VM is how do we make that easier, right? Obviously doing um, continuous testing on a physical robot is tricky. So you want to enable that, but you also want to make it easy to do sort of standard tool, th uh, standard software things like mocks. So making mocks of hardware in VM is easy, and we have default mocks for lots of hardware also that you can use. Testing on old data is really easy in VM, so you can sort of get data from cameras, or whatever, store it, and then test on that data. So you can test all of your code in a continuous sort of testing methodology. We also make it easy to take your code and deploy it to robots, whether it's locally, you know, in your lab or out in the field. And you can deploy like a couple of robots or 50% or your entire fleet, right? Because, you know, there is no other way to actually know if it works than actually trying it. And so we make this whole life cycle thing much easier. And in VM, it looks very similar to what you'd expect in a any other sort of software toolkit, right? If you're deploying code to AWS, maybe we're using AWS Lambda, and how do you test that, right? It's not exactly the same, but philosophically, it's very aligned to things like that. How do you test it like there? How do you do it? with tools and CLIs and systems that are very similar to any software engineer. Because most probably you can, you can just test the software, the components itself separately as well, partially. But when it comes into the real world, you might run into completely different issues that, you know, are of a physical nature as well. Uh, correct. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that we fundamentally believe is that we want more people testing on real in the real world mm -hmm. because the real world is too complex for you know software to really emulate at this point we don't have you know a full physics simulation of the entire world it's pretty complicated and we want to make it really easy to test in the real world mm -hmm. i remember uh, one of the robotics university projects i was doing was um kind of an, an A4 piece of paper with a uh, with a labyrinth on it. And we had an A-star algorithm. So sorry, we had a camera scanning it and then an A-star algorithm kind of trying to find a way out of, out of it. And then we had a pencil with a machine that was moving around in three dimension that, that was actually physically drawing the way out. What it turned out is that as soon as the pencil was getting closer to the paper, because it was a step motor, it would tear through the paper with the pencil. So whatever we have created in the beginning, we had to build very ad hoc suspension mechanism to actually make sure that it doesn't, you know, and destroy the entire paper that was provided. So that's obviously like, yep. so, and simple stuff like this can actually really, really get uh, into the way. Um, yeah, exactly. No, like it, you, yeah, like you have to, 
yeah is it and there's a million examples that are like that that are very similar and that's why making it easier to test making it easier to iterate so that your iteration cycles go down you know one of the my big beliefs about software hardware anything where you're building something is one of the biggest indicators of success is iteration time how long does it take you to put something and try it get feedback from that whether it's your own or someone else's iterate and try again you know as a software person you know when we were working on mongodb if it took us an hour to try some code change and run it through our tests very hard to get to make things happen quickly if you can bring that time down to five minutes two minutes 10 seconds it completely changes the way you think about writing software it makes everything much easier right you, you can imagine right if you change one line of code and you and, and to test it takes an hour that's a nightmare, right? That's kind of a, a hellish world to live in. And in the robotics world, that is sort of the standard, right? Where sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's weeks or months. Right? It's very hard to actually make progress in that world. You want to be able to go as fast as possible. Hmm. So removing as many of those bottlenecks will kind of bring us up to speed as much as possible as well. Exactly. And I was wondering, could you tell me a little bit about what do you do in the area of edge computing with VM? If, if you think about robotics, right? Robotics is sort of fundamentally the the edgiest of edge computing. Um, so everything in VM, right? There's always a robot somewhere in the real world. Let's just make a simple example: there's a robot in your house watering a plant, right? So maybe there's a Raspberry Pi connected in your house, connected to Wi-Fi. So there's a lot of software that runs on that Raspberry Pi. There's the stuff that connects to the hardware. Or there's any algorithms you want to there is also stuff that can run in the cloud where maybe the ui is in the cloud uh, cloud configuration logging maybe let's say you're doing machine learning to detect if a plant is healthy or not you would probably want to build new models in the cloud and use bigger compute there but then you want to actually do the inference on the cloud because you don't want to send every picture of your plant up into the cloud and you never want the picture of your plant to ever leave your house maybe your plant doesn't matter that much but if you're thinking about hey is my pet healthy Okay, maybe that data you never ever wanted to leave that Raspberry Pi. And so you do all the inference, actually the application of the model locally, and then just metadata, just like, hey, there's a problem, go send someone an email, that's what gets sent to the cloud. So the entire notion of robotics and the platform is very uh, related to edge computing. We don't really think about it in terms of edge computing because everything we do is on the edge, yeah. fundamentally. Yeah, because obviously training anything on the robot itself, that wouldn't make sense. But for right, and look, there are there are places where maybe you want to do it, but almost in all cases, you want to do the the training in the cloud. You know, another one where you're building maps, where you're collecting data, moving around it's called SLAM, and then building maps of an environment. Again, same thing. You want to collect the data on the robot and then use cloud computing, which is much faster, to actually go and build maps. Mm, that would make sense, and. Uh, from the point of view of um, the customers that use VM, what is the business model behind VM? And how do you guys charge your customers? Yep. So everything that runs on your robot is open source. Mm -hmm. Thereby free. The cloud is consumption-based pricing. So, for example, if you are using us to build models, we charge you for storing the data, right? If we're storing a gigabyte of data, we charge you a per gigabyte fee. If we're building a model for you, we charge you the compute time for actually building the model. Mm -hmm. 
There is no like a per robot fee. There's nothing else. So it's purely consumption-based pricing. So very similar to sort of other cloud computing things like AWS, where if you're using more services, you get a bigger bill. If you're using very little, very limited services, you could pay us almost nothing or in fact, zero. And there's also a free tier. So uh, very similar to sort of other cloud business, uh, consumption-based cloud computing businesses. Mm -hmm. So it's actually easy to start as well, just to try it out in the beginning. And then later as the you business can, scales, you scale with. Yeah, you can, when you're in development, you're going to pay us very little, if not nothing, unless you're storing a lot of data. And what is from the point of view of the technical challenges? When building VM, obviously it's a pretty vast and large uh, system. What was the biggest challenge that you have encountered while, while building VM and how did you tackle it? The, the hardest part is we're not doing a lot of hard science, right? The science has been done. We're doing a lot of engineering. The hard part about this space is the surface area is enormous. Think mm -hmm. about the number of types of hardware, the number of types of services and things you need to actually go and build a successful business. It's a really wide area. And so the hardest part has been iterating on the prioritization and on what mm -hmm. actually matters to our users in terms of being able to actually successfully build a product. Um, and it's not, again, it's not rocket science, it's not hard science, but it is a very hard optimization problem. Mm -hmm. And then managing a large engineering team that is constantly having to reevaluate what it's working on to make sure it's adding the right value to our users is, is a, you know, is hard. Mm -hmm. And from the point of view of the user request, do you, do you just speak with users, do like a poll, for example, or ask them about what hardware do they want to use the most? Or how, or how do you speak with users and um, request the feedback from them in order to prioritize those uh, parts? So we talk, I mean, we talk to a lot of our users on a weekly basis. We, you know, we're still small, so we, you know, we can talk to, you know, it's a lot, but we are trying to be as hands-on as possible. And, you know, we're talking to dozens of people, dozens of different customers weekly. And um, we also have a Discord channel where we sort of monitor and talk to people and do it that way. Uh, I've never been a big believer in polls, mm -hmm. but it's really more about, you know, talking to people, whether it's through the community channels, conferences, just actually talking to customers and trying to collate that as best as we possibly can. And from the point of view of your team, could, could you tell me a little bit more about your team? How large it is? What's, um, and because you also have um, a pretty good standing within the social media. I really enjoyed your uh, channels bo and both on YouTube and on Instagram. And um, if you could tell me a little bit more about your team and how do you all work together? And are you all based in one place? Are you more remote? Um, how, how, how do so you the company is about 90, the company is about 90 people, right? Mm -hmm. It is largely based in New York City. We have a headquarters in New York City. We, you know, we have a lab in New York where we have a lot of robots that we test with and people can build robots and play with robots and get comfortable testing software on robots. We do have a headquarters in New York. We do have a, you know, handful of people, you know, maybe 10% of the company that is remote um, that will probably grow over time and be more distributed over time as our client base spreads out more. And um, how do we work together? You know, it's relatively standard uh, tech world stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, relatively standard. We use Slack for better or for worse, and uh, you know, go from there. 
And you've also built a great team at Mongo and now at VM. And would there be any advice that you would give to technical managers who are building teams right now, engineering teams, on how to build a great one? Uh, that's, a, that's a whole conversation in and of itself. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, what really matters is getting the people who are good at working in teams, mm -hmm. the software the teams for, and figuring out the right process that works for your team and your business. So, you know, just because, you know, like too much process or the wrong process can kill teams and not enough process can cause chaos and just getting something that works that lets people be iterative, but also make sure everyone's doing the right thing and pulling in the right direction. As long as you can do that, you're going to do okay. And from the point of view of hiring, how do you, what is your recruitment process like? And what do you look for in, in, in the potential candidates that you are hiring? And are you hiring now by any chance as well? We are, are hiring now uh, across a whole number of different roles. And our process is, you know, again, pretty similar. Like at the end of the day, we look for people who have the right skills, who are smart and can learn because we feel we, we always value intelligence and the ability to learn more than any specific skill. Because we feel like any specific skill can be learned, but if someone isn't interested in learning or can't learn or isn't creative, it's hard to teach those skills. And, um, yeah, no, we are hiring. We are also, you know, like one of the most important things for us is people who will work well on a team and, you know, like software is a team sport. At the end of the day, the team matters more than any individual. And so people who are going to add value to the team and make the team build stuff faster, that's what matters. And from looking at the, at the field of robotics and within the next kind of the next 10, 20 years. How do you see the field of robotics developing from within the next 10, 20 years? What, what kind of um, breakthroughs do you expect or what progress? So the most important thing for me is actually to see way more companies, right? I think what you see is a lot of the science is in good shape, a lot of the hardware is in good shape, but there aren't enough people actually putting it to good use. Um, and the tooling has been too hard for people to actually go and try that. So the most important thing that I want to have happen is people actually to start building companies, putting products into the world, start doing interesting things, you know, small things that actually are valuable and then keep iterating and keep growing. Right? There isn't a specific thing that has to be figured out or learned or understood. It's really just, Hey, what can we do with this new technology and start making things happen? Because the field of AI, for example, was accelerating right now very, very fast and just faster and faster. And I was wondering if, for example, in your opinion, the robotics is accelerating at the same at the same pace from the point of view of hardware, or or are there any specific uh, developments with, within the robotics world that you are very excited about and look forward to see them in in practice? So, as an example, AI and the robotics world are intrinsically. Right? How do you make your robot smarter? AI. Hardware has actually come a tremendous amount in the last 20 years. Right? Robot arms, batteries, GPUs, LiDAR, all these things are way better now than they were 20 years ago. Like orders of magnitude better. What's been missing is the glue to link these two worlds together. Right? The software world has improved dramatically over the last 20 years. The hardware world has improved dramatically over the, over the last 20 years. But the tools that link them together have not and that's what vm is here for and what, what is vm's team working on right now and what, what is next on your plate 
Uh, there's a lot of things. That it's a big team. But at the end of the day, it's a lot of things, you know, how do we make it easier for people to go and build robots, right? So right now we're working on, for example, a tool to make it easier to build drivers and modules that people want to publish and share it with the community. We're working on uh, more integrated components and more ways that you can add your own ideas into VM. We're working on ways, to, better ways to deploy code and manage code on a very wide, very large fleet. You know, if you've got 10,000, 100,000, a million robots to make sure it's really easy to manage versions and understand what's happening through remote diagnostics, remote debugging of, you know, a million robots in the field, a lot of things like that. What would be an example, for example, in practice of a large robot fleet? What would be the most common kind of use of the large uh, numbers? Yeah, so the most, I mean, it's, this is not a, a VM project, but the one that everyone knows about is a room, right? There are millions of there are millions of Roombas deployed in the world. That is a very large robotic fleet. Um, I mean, another one that's a little bit different, but you know, to broaden your sense of what a robot could be, is all the Nest thermostats. Mm -hmm. You know, Nest thermostat, right? It's got a temperature sensor. Mm -hmm. It's got a way to turn on and off the air conditioning or heat, and it's operating independently, twenty four seven. Right. It doesn't move around, but it's 100% a robot. Hmm. This is correct. I'm actually sitting under an aircon that's, and that's controlled remotely as well. So we have a, a separate, uh, there you go, yeah. a se separate web application and it's, uh, incredibly annoying. It could definitely use a little bit more work, but I don't think I can go and code it up over there to fix it. Right. So one of the things in VM is that everything is web connected optionally. Mm. And we have things like, because we use standard tools, we have a Flutter SDK. So for any web or mobile developer, and we have a TypeScript SDK and a Flutter SDK. So let's say any mobile developer wants to go write a Flutter app to control anything that's in VM is just going to use a standard Flutter API and can use any standard Flutter tools and go build an app. So for example, as your customers who build, um, who actually build the hardware, connected to VM and presented later to their customers that would also enable their customers to extend it further. Correct. If they wanted, yep, they, everything can be API driven. Mm, this is great. Cause actually yet again with, with the toy example of my, my aircon, I had to write a tiny script actually injected into the web app in order to click on some buttons to stop the aircon, you know, switching off the entire time. And, um, as a founder of VM. What is your ultimate vision of the platform? Imagine that you wake up tomorrow and everything that you wanted to do with VM, uh, it could be done. What would be the ultimate vision of the final product? At the end of the day, right? What we really care about it. We want to make it really easy for people to start with hardware, connect it to a computer, start writing applications, make it really easy to go iterate quickly to have a product in the field, make it easy for businesses to scale and build more robots, get them, you know, mass produce them, get them into the field, iterate on them quickly once they're in the field and productively and efficiently manage very large robotic fleets. When that happens, you know, we want robots to be a standard part of people's daily lives. There are no robots wandering around fixing potholes right now. There are no robots actively cleaning oceans. There are no robots actively planting trees, right? There are projects, there are experiments in these areas, but 
no production, you know, nothing's in production. Why not? Right. So what we care about is all those things actually happening in the real world all the time. So you look more to empower the companies that are building their own products on top of. Exactly. You know, we want an entire ecosystem of robotic companies solving real world problems. And, you know, just like with MongoDB, I don't know what people are going to do with the platform. Hopefully, you know, I've got ideas, I've got things I want, but I assume that a lot of smart, creative people are going to come up with lots of great ideas about things they can build and things they should build. And I hope they go and build them. So because I could see the parallel here as, as MongoDB has empowered a, a very large number of developers and to build their applications on top of it and companies. And the same with VM potentially within the uh, robotic space. Exactly, right? Everything we do is to empower other developers to go and build businesses, to go and build robots that do interesting and useful things in the world. And from the point of view of mm, the learnings that you have taken from MongoDB as, as you're applying them right now in VM, what would be some of the most important things that you're taking over from MongoDB from, from the point of view of philosophy and um, how to run things to uh, VM? Yeah. So like the most important one is that if you don't have people using your product to do useful things, you haven't really accomplished anything. Right? I don't care how much software you've written. I don't know how cool it is. I don't care how pretty it looks. If there isn't someone actually using it on a daily basis to make their job easier, to actually do something useful in the world, you haven't done anything. So you've got to start with users. And number two is you've got to bring your entire team into that journey and make sure they understand why people are using your product what they're trying to accomplish and how you make it easier and how you make it easier on a daily basis and not just, you know, theoretically, how you actually are making their job easier. And do you think that, um, that potentially as well, from looking at this, the robotics companies that are starting right now, would you think that the cost of the hardware might be a very big, um, and the, a very big step for, for the companies to get into the field? hardware is not that expensive these days it depends on what you want to do right obviously there are things that are more expensive like robot arms are expensive mm. other things aren't that expensive so it really depends on what you're doing there are a lot of things you can do with not a lot of expensive hardware um it also means that or to read it another way a lot of hardware has gotten very expensive or is very expensive because the hardware has to be almost perfect because it's really hard to write good software. One of the things that we're enabling is that you can use more commodity hardware and use software to make it better, right? Let the 30 million software engineers in the world take commodity hardware and write code to make it actually do really hard things. That will bring all the costs down even more so than they are today. And what would be your advice for founders who would like to start robotics companies in 2023? First, talk to us because we'll help. Two, and, and not just on like using VM, like I'm just like, hey, like what hardware you use, all those things. Two is, you know, find a problem. Don't, you know, focus on the problem and the business case. And there's a lot of things people think that I think are incorrect. For example, having to make robots fully autonomous to start. And one of the best things people can do is think about problems from a business standpoint of, hey, maybe I can have someone helping this robot when it gets stuck. 
And I don't have to make a peripheral guide autonomous. I don't even have all the sensors in there so I can have someone help it remotely from an office or from around the world, collect all that data. And then we talked about AI before, use AI to continuously make the robot better. And maybe in the beginning, someone needs to manage a robot half the time. Maybe that's okay. Maybe over in two years, it's 10% or 5%. And what happens is your efficiencies grow over time, but don't assume you have to make it perfect or fully autonomous on day zero, right? Like let people help the robots. From point of view of, um, so me, for example, imagine I would, if I would want to start a new robotics company, something that moves around, let's say the office, like a uh, Roomba or does any, any other manual thing, would there be any, uh, cause you said to improve those robots as they go, right? So like, um, in a more con and continuous improvement, wouldn't this potentially pose any safety issues or are there any certifications that you need to get first to make sure that those robots are safe? And that any kind of malfunction won't cause um, any problems. Yeah, I mean, there's a variety of you know things. And, you know, every electronics device that gets sold in the United States has a certain certification requires. Same for Europe. Um, so there's a, there are certifications you need. If you think about, and that sounds daunting from a software engineer standpoint, but if you think about the number of relatively cheap pieces of electronics you can buy on Amazon, they are all certified. It's not nearly as onerous as it sounds. Um, it's just not a skill set that most software engineers have or know anything about, but it's actually not that hard to, to do it. Um, in terms of safety, yeah, of course. Anything running around your house needs to be safe, and you need the right tools to make it safe. You need the right tools for security and privacy. Right? Those are all sort of built into VM. You know, anything with a camera in your house, privacy has to be paramount security has to be paramount you know our related space is iot which has not had a great security story to date uh and is you know huge number of issues and uh one of the things that we do at vm is to make sure that everything is secure and very private out of the box so that you can do things uh very nicely I was thinking also about all the other devices that are within the home recording as they go like the smart tvs for example and then potentially uploading it somewhere at the same time. So I do ag agree with this part on the safety. Yeah. And what would be your advice for software engineers who aspire to become CTOs or technical or, or successful technical leaders in the future? Um, I would say just start, right? You know, like with anything, the hardest part is getting started. You know, one of the things that we've done is publish a bunch of very simple, tut simple tutorials that any software engineer could do. And like, just try it, right? See how easy it is to get started and then think about problems that you care about that maybe don't seem enormous, but like, hey, look, that would make things better if I went and built something to do that. Cool, awesome. Thank you so much for and for your time. Um, it was great talking. Yeah, thanks a lot. This has been uh, really fun and hopefully we'll talk soon in the future. Talk soon. Okay, thank you so much. All right, have a good one.